it is necessary to investigate before legislating. But the line between investigating and persecuting is a very fine one. The investigators tell us it seems the suspect was going to pass them, then turned and fired. Christine, Laura, what you're seeing behind me is one of multiple locations. Arise to support the impeachment of President Donald J. Trump. And I'm about to talk to him about allegations that he was involved with prostitutes in Moscow and that the Russians taped it and have leverage over him. Hello. Before we get started with the show, I wanted to talk to you about uh, something that's near and dear to my heart, and that is sleep. I travel a great deal. I travel all around the world. I just got back from Kiev, crossing the Moldovan border. And the thing I always look forward to is getting back to my uh, king-size bed with my MyPillow mattress topper installed on the top. Now, I like a firm mattress because uh, I have back problems from uh, a long time ago uh, playing sports in high school. But I love my firm mattress with the MyPillow mattress topper on top. You get the firmness, but also it's like sleeping on a firm cloud. I really can't explain it. But it is the most comfortable sleep I have ever experienced in my life, and I can't wait to get back to it every time I travel. If you go to MyPillow right now with promo code CDM, you can get a 50% discount on the mattress toppers. Uh, Mike Lindell is giving out amazing discounts right now. Uh, get them while they last. Use promo code CDM at MyPillow.com and get the MyPillow mattress topper, the best sleep you will ever experience. Thank you very much. Now on to our guest. Welcome back to Information Operation. Today's guest is Matt Palumbo. He probably needs no introduction, but he is the uh, the force behind the Bongino Report, managing that on a daily basis. Also an accomplished author and political commentator. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks for having me on. So, look, let's just get right to it. You wrote a book recently. I've got the uh, the cover here. But the man behind the curtain, uh, the, inside the secret network of George Soros. So that is uh, quite provocative to me because I've always, you know, we ran into Soros in Ukraine with the state capture he's done there and the Balkans, you know, his son Alex is running American foreign policy in the Balkans, it seems, in, for years now. But tell us how you got into this and why you wrote the book and, and let's dig into that. Well, there's a lot of reasons. You know, Soros has been on my radar and I think he probably came to most people's radar like uh, 2010 onwards. I think Glenn Beck actually deserves a lot of credit for yeah, he does. Uh, kind of elevating him to the, you know, making him a household figure. And he devoted a, a lot of time on his Fox News show at the time to exposing Soros. Um, in fact, I think it was that which is what prompted Soros to fund Media Matters for the tune of a couple million dollars. Um, just, really? just that. And Becky even told me it was the only time he ever got threats from reporting on someone uh, was from <laughs> Soros. So, yeah, so clearly he's aware of that. So I had always known him as a, uh, I mean, I, I use the term boogeyman figure, not as a pejorative like the left does to kind of mock us. I mean, he, he I think it is a fair, uh, you know, fair, I think, to brand him just given the scope. Um and I also have, you know, on that note, though, I had the other thought of, well, you know, in any Internet comment section, anytime there's something left wing, it's getting blamed on Soros. And there's no need to blame literally everything on the guy when there's really no shortage of right. he's actually behind. So a large part of the motivation was just kind of to sort through, well, what's true and what's not. And uh, even the more hyperbolic stuff, like when you see someone say, like, yeah, Soros was a Nazi, I mean, it's not literally true, but a diluted version of that that's also extremely damning is true. 
Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, so just things like that. And then, so that's, I mean, he's been on my radar for, like I said, so 12 years now. Um, and what sort of prompted me to kind of go, all right, this guy's actually really a menace. I mean, in, in past presidential elections, there's so much money being spent that, well, hey, you know, unless he's going to spend a billion dollars on an election, he's probably not going to turn the needle. But he's gone local recently. Um, the district mm-hmm. attorneys are a disaster. Um, and the longest chapter in the book, and this was the, I would say the main catalyst for why I wrote it was just to kind of uh, show that he's destroying the country left and right. And it's noticeable and it's directly linked to him. And there's no conspiracy. It's all public money being donated. And we can see what happens in these cities. The crime rate usually doubles. Um, the only exceptions to the role are places like San Francisco, where there's no point in reporting that you were robbed. Something's going to happen. So you might have cases there where it looks like uh, robberies are going down, but it's just because no one's reporting them, but they're going up so much. Uh, it's right. a paradoxical uh, phenomenon. But yeah, those were the main two reasons. And then my publisher agreed it was a good idea. So I said, uh, well, we'll do <laughs> that. Then. Yeah. So I've always been uh, interested in what, what really drives the guy, you know, back in, you know, decades ago, he was after the fall of the Soviet union, he was pushing the open society and, yeah. and, you know, getting rid of communism in these countries. But, you know, we have a, a, uh, a joint colleague, I guess, uh, Sally Barisha in the Balkans, who told me recently on an interview, he was with Soros in the beginning until he figured out he was putting literally instead of saving or, you know, saving democracies, he was putting old communists in Western governments over the last few decades. Yeah, he, I, I was on um, Albanian TV and they were asking me and they were saying, you know, too many Albanian sources like a guy who came in here and built schools and hospitals. And I'm right. like, yeah, it's the Pablo Escobar model. You build goodwill yeah. with the local population. Um, and Barisha actually gave a talk uh, or spoke at, um, before I did it, a talk I gave and talked about this and said, like, yeah, he comes in with these goodwill gestures, but it's to ingratiate himself into that society and, and, and get, uh, you know, have them do their biddings. In fact, there was a, a leaked email I have in the book where uh, Soros was complaining that despite all he did for Obama, Obama didn't give him enough access and all that. So he, he oh, wow. it's pay for play. Um, obviously, he had a lot of influence in the Obama administration despite that, but was still complaining it wasn't enough. And uh, one of oh. these sort of uh, founding myths of Soros that you'll see pushed by the uh, I don't know what the right word is to use for these people. I don't know if neoliberal is right, the right word. I mean, like the Michael Bloomberg types, they're the sort of pro-corporate business liberal right. billionaires. They'll, they'll sort of push a narrative that Soros was, was anti-communist, which it's literally true. He did help a lot of these countries transition to communism to capitalism, but he almost acted like those oligarchs who, you know, all these state assets get redistributed to them, where he was buying yes. State assets for pennies on the dollar and, and and selling them off for a profit. So it, it's if there was an ideological component, it was intertwined with his financial component. Um, and you see that too. I mean, he's he's played a role in meddling in both Russia and Ukraine, so and which are you know, two countries not necessarily friendly to each other. So he kind of plays oh, yeah. the jig on those things. So what do you think? I mean, the the real question is, what is his the end game or what is his agenda? I mean, what what do you think it is? I mean, I have my ideas, but what do you think it is? <laughs> I mean, it seems like a lot of these people on the top, it's just power for power's sake. Uh, and the reason I yeah. say that is because if I had $40 billion, and especially if I was in my 90s, would probably be spending my time doing anything besides being in an office in Manhattan uh, trying right. to manipulate the world. So, uh, <laughs> you know, any of my, uh, it's sort of a lot of armchair psychology in the book of what I think motivates the guy. And, you know, I have quotes from him. I mean, the opening uh, quote to the book is him saying, my goal is to be the conscience of the world. Um which huh. I think in one sentence kind of says it all. It, it's he just like I likes to influence stuff. Um, I mean, almost just for the sake of it. He'll say stuff like, um, you know, I want to the only thing that can save democracy is destroying the power of the United States. I mean, that's a paraphrase, but yeah. 
that that makes no sense. I mean, yeah, and even the whole open society vision. I mean, you listen to him describe it, and I'm going, oh, this sounds like a sort of almost libertarianish, right wing individualist thing. But then his version of it is the opposite. It's almost like the sort of hyper individualism of the left, where it's like I'm a, you know, they they divide into all these different, you know, I'm a transgender, female, black, whatever, mm-hmm. which on the surface seems individualistic, but they almost they make it collectivist. Um, and he sort of does the same thing with the open society. And um, mm. he, he got the idea from a guy he studied under at the London School of Economics in Karl Popper. Um, mm. Soros now describes the, uh, the U.S. as one of the greatest threats to the open society. Uh, Karl Popper was very pro-American and so does the embodiment of it. So uh, even, mm. you know, even his mentor disagreed with him on, on his interpretation of it. So most people don't, uh, you know, with the Ukraine and the headlines, um, you know, constantly now, uh, we were there several years back before all this really came out. But it, People don't know that that country is essentially state captured mm-hmm. by the Soros network. You have yeah. these NGOs. They take kids out of school. They, they put them in these NGOs. They train them up and they morph them to government. And then they do the same thing in the U.S. or have been doing it. But uh, if you can't do something in the U- U.S. transparency wise or criminally, you know, because it's illegal, you do it in Ukraine. Yeah. And this is he, he was running, you know, info ops against Bernie Sanders, against mm-hmm. Trump. Uh, money laundering. I mean, go down the list. So do you, do you have any insight into his foreign activities versus what he's doing in the U.S. in the book? Yeah, I think the book is probably 80 percent U.S., 20 percent foreign. And, and the only mm-hmm. foreign country I give a whole chapter to is Ukraine, okay. um, just because he's had the longest history there. He spent 200 billion dollars. And it's just sort of the easiest to see the chain of events and the corruption, you know, playing out. Like when he got a yeah. Poroshenko elected during the Maidan protests, um, you know, he becomes president. The next year, Soros gets awarded the highest uh, award in the land by the guy he just got elected. Um, in fact, they're the biggest newspaper um, in Ukraine said that uh, Soros was, I think, the second most influential person in the country after the president. Then Soros says, I'm going to pledge a billion dollars uh, in additional funding to your country. Then he gets appointed to the state's National Investment Council. So it's just all these things in a row that are undeniable. Another thing I devote a lot of time to is these, um, I, I say, ironically titled anti-corruption organization. There's one called... I remember the acronym, but not the name. It's like uh, Nab- Nabu or OORCP is like organi- organization. Yeah, that's the other one. Yeah, that's reporting. Yep. Yeah, so that's cited. I mean, a number of times in the Trump impeachment uh, documents, mm-hmm. a lot of the anti-Giuliani, mm-hmm. anti-Manafort stuffs out of them. Uh, there's another one called AntAC, the Anti-Corruption Bureau of of, of, um, of Ukraine, and they were uh, they relate to um, the whole Hunter Biden fiasco when he was on Burisma's board, and um, you know Biden very infamously uh, uh, had a quid pro quo where he said fire Victor Shokin, the prosecutor yeah. looking into this, or you're not going to get aid, which the left didn't mind. But at that same exact time, AntAC was also saying fire that prosecutor. So yeah. you know they were attacking Trump through the impeachment with that one anti-corruption group. They were shielding a Biden during an election year with the other. Um, and it's just very obvious to see how these groups, you know, they have the air of, of credibility and that they're supposed to be nonpartisan groups, but they're more than 20 to 50 percent funded by Soros. So uh, his his hands show up. And they're very good at taking American aid money and, mm-hmm. and like 50 percent skimmed off the top for the NGOs. I mean, and, and they also yeah. will like collaborate with the FBI and CIA. So, I mean, when yeah. I did the book Spygate, Department. When yeah. I did Spygate with Dan Bongino, a lot of uh, the the BS information was actually coming out of Ukraine and and, and not necessarily the government, but a lot of uh, our people involved, like their ambassadors and all that, were finding all this anti Manafort stuff. And oh, for to sure. Parlay it into anti Trump stuff. Yeah. So let's switch countries for a minute to the Balkans. I mean, 
we've written for a long time about the Soros cabal, if you will, and especially his son. You go to his Facebook page, there's picture after picture of him with yep. Balkan presidents and elite prime ministers. And he's essentially been running foreign policy, pushing this open Balkans uh, thing, uh, kind of like a EU of the Balkans. Right. Do you have any comments on that? I know you're very involved in Albania, but it, 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 are you active in any other of the countries over there? Uh, so w with Albania, I mean, most of my research, and I sort of stumbled upon it by accident, and I think I probably mm -hmm. came across your writing too, was the sanctions mm -hmm. against Mr. Borussia. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's just quite transparently not, I mean, listen, if there was legitimacy to these allegations, Obama would have done something when they supposedly occurred. Why would you have to yeah. wait a decade for a guy whose, you know, family is intertwined with someone who's against Mr. Borussia? So uh, it was just kind of an obvious, uh, you know, chain of events would happen there were those, those sanctions. And then you look into the source of the allegations, and it's a think tank co-founded by George Soros and Diana Fizo, who's, you know, a socialist in Albania. So um, I just thought it was a very... Um, I don't know, blatantly obvious um, act of him manipulating our secretary of state. And he did the same when Hillary Clinton was in power as well. The secretary of state is a place where Soros has historically had a lot of influence. Um, as for the open Balkans, I mean, I'm not that knowledgeable of it. I mean, I had a few conversations with people mm -hmm. about it and they sort of had the same attitude of, you know, we're for the pro-free trade aspects, but not giving up any national sovereignty or anything. Yeah. That's kind of my opinion on the EU as well. Basically. So how do we, you know, the, the State Department has been very active in Albania, not just this ambassador, Yuri Kim, but Donald Liu before her, and actively interfering in Albanian affairs to prevent the gentleman you're talking about, Sile Barisha, who's kind of like the Balkan Trump mm -hmm. who coming back into power. Uh, how, how do we cleanse the State Department? Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, it, it, because it is Soros infested. And it uh, it is the deep state department. So well, the thing is, and I don't know the logistics of this would obviously be difficult just because it's hard to fire people from government. But I, I mean, yeah. reducing the size of these departments by 20, 30, 40 percent. And yeah. listen, I know people who work in government, and I think you and I individually could do 30 people's jobs working two hours a day. Like nothing exactly. really gets done at these places. Um, and I mean, I, I'm not, you know. I don't want to call it an ideological purge, but if you're somebody who works for the American government and you work and against our values and, and don't seem to care much for our country, I, I don't think you should be employed there. So, uh, you know, just yeah. across the board purges of these people. And well, I won't use the word purge firings of those who are, I, I don't know, a threat to our own country, to, to be frank. So let's uh, talk the news business for a minute. I mean, you, you, you run a, a major news aggregator. It's very, you know, well-read and, and very impactful um, what, what, what do you see? Do you, do you see the mainstream media starting to become irrelevant or do you see their 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 capabilities starting to decline at all? Because there's a lot of competition. But I mean, definitely in the ratings, you're seeing that. I mean, Fox is destroying every network by a long shot. Now, it could just mm -hmm. be because of the shortage of right wing outlets forces everyone to watch one versus, mm -hmm. you know, even no shortage of left wing outlets. But it does seem like. Uh, Trump sort of broke a lot of people. Like, I don't think anyone's yeah. laughed at a late night comedian in five or six years. <laughs> uh, although someone joked, and I don't think it's really a joke, but they're almost like group therapy for liberals at this point. Just like the stuff people yeah. talked about. Um, it's tough to say because, you know, I, I'm i always saying, you know, liberals are in a bubble, but I'm on mm. Twitter all day and I'm in a bubble as well. Um, you know, the right wingers I follow probably aren't representative of the average Republican and the left wingers I follow are, I think, in the you know most mentally ill 10 percent of the party. So uh, it's hard to say. Um, I think covid definitely has had that unintended consequence of people not trusting the media just because, mm -hmm. you know, it. The first month of covid, they could play it off as listen, the science is evolving. We got to adapt. But 
it's just how frequently the rules were broken gave away that even the people pushing it don't believe it. Uh, yeah. I mean, there was, I think, the L.A. mayor, and there's, I think, 100, 200, probably 1,000 examples like this. He got caught without a mask. That day says, uh, I mean, he, he employed the Clinton defense. He said, I didn't inhale when I didn't have the mask off. Right. Uh, but it won't happen again. And then, like, one or two days later, same exact photo gets taken with him with no mask. So no one actually, none of the people that were telling us the most to be afraid of it were actually afraid of it. Um, so I think that damaged our credibility. The Hunter laptop thing is, I, I mean, we're seeing all of a sudden after it being rushed and disinformation or not worth covering is all of a sudden worth covering. And uh, one yeah. theory that I think is possible is that there is an indictment coming or something of some sort that's not going to look good. And the media doesn't want to be caught with their pants down. So they're going to try right. to play it off as, well, actually, uh, we were responsible. We wasn't credible then, but it is now. And the good yeah. thing we got it, you know, yeah. Yeah. the whole time they're obviously there. Uh, if they didn't, they don't want to cover it, basically. Um, so tell us about the book. I mean, the, the title is intriguing. The secret net. What is the secret network? But that Soros runs. Well, I, I realize after publishing it, it's actually not that secret because it's all contained in a book I wrote. But uh, it, okay. it's, it's secret <laughs> that uh, most people haven't really looked for it themselves. Um, I sort of just divide it into just. Uh, sort of spheres of influences in the theme of each chapter. So the first is more biographical. I just kind of talk about you know, his own public statements. I try to sort of uh, play the role of armchair psychologist based on what he tells me. But then I just go into, you know, here's the media, his history with the media, his why he's fascinated with it, these publications he controls, these journalists, and, and hey, here's examples of publications that he funds, and here's mm -hmm. how they cover him versus other people in similar situations. Um, Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I have one on colleges, and I mean, the only disclaimer, like, there's a whole network of colleges he started and called the Open Society uh, University Network, and uh, and most of these colleges, I noticed, like, the ratio of faculty to students is, like, three or four to one, which wow. is, obviously, so it's, 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 it seems like they're really just think tanks um, yeah. that are sort of presenting themselves as universities. and Incubation centers for their, uh, for their networks. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. But, you know, they're just pumping out research that's sympathetic to them. Um, right. I mean, the only disclaimer there is they're really ideologically, unfortunately, not that much different from any other American university. It's just these are the ones we know are source branded. Um, yeah. I think some individual countries like uh, Ukraine, I have a whole chapter on uh, leaked documents from his Open Society Foundation, which I think shine a lot of light into just the psychology of how they think and try to infiltrate groups like there is one. Uh, Catholic group they're trying to infiltrate because I guess their logic their logic was like well hey if you're devoutly Catholic abortion is the one issue you're going to care about so no matter what the left has to offer as long as they're pro-choice they're not going to get the Catholic vote um, that doesn't really play out in elections across the board with Catholics but with devout they're not going to vote Democrat for that reason so yeah. they have this sort of strategy of let's infiltrate a Catholic group and try to portray abortion as one of many issues in hopes that it'll sort of reframe the narrative and we can siphon off their votes that way. So just one example of them trying to sort of psychologically toy with people. And I thought it was an interesting strategy, um, but, you know, just gives an insight into how he thinks. Um, and then I just have stuff like on Europe and then I get into more obscure countries around the world that I don't think people will really care as much, but I figured I might as well have it in the book if I'm going to be comprehensive. Um, one thing that's interesting about Europe, and this was one of the leaked documents, it was sort of like a um, dossier on every single member of European Parliament that they had a connection with, Soros had a connection with, and it's around 277 people. So wow. there's 705 seats in EU Parliament. Uh, if Soros, you know, Soros linked candidates or MPs, rather, were their own party, it would be the biggest party by a long shot. So, uh, you know, one of the biggest governing bodies in the world, he has a lot of uh, pull. Um, that's all, you know, let me see if I forgot anything. I think that's probably a good, a decent overview. Let's see. 
Uh, let's see. Oh, and then, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the longest chapter is him going local, uh, the whole yeah. PA phenomenon, where it's, I mean, we're, you know, we're it's feeling bad. the impact right now. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's bad when people know the names of these DAs. Like, yeah, Chase Abudin, sure. and, like most people, I don't think know their representative, but they know Chase Abudin is ruining San Francisco and Kim Fox with Jesse Smollett hoax or Kim Garner with this, with the, uh, the close skis. And it's just every notable, crazy miscarriage of justice case in the past few years that comes to mind it's someone linked to soros behind it so so let's talk about the obvious fact lastly here he, he, he can't live forever correct do, do you think his i mean <laughs> he's got to be getting to the point where he's not you know completely with it it's in a few years so what about his son is he going to take over or does he have a, a plan to uh you know reconstitute yeah. what he's doing so i think sort of silently the son already has kind of taken over um, mm -hmm. but yes, that is the plan. It seems uh, Alex will take over afterwards and continue the legacy. And he's everywhere. I mean, when I was in Albania, he was in the same hotel as me. Uh, I never ran into him, but I knew he was uh, a few floors above me. Was that um, at the inter intercontinental there on the, oh, the plaza? The plaza. Oh, okay, know. okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was hoping I run into him and you know give him a signed copy, but unfortunately uh, <laughs> not. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it seems like that's what's going to happen. And there are some things he's done that seem like succession planning. Um, I think it's either 20 or $30 billion he's donated from you know his own pocket to the open society foundation in the past few years. And mm -hmm. the only reason, I mean, that's, I think the amount, whatever the amount, the exact amount was, I think it's 32 billion, but whatever the exact amount is, it's greater than his total spending his entire lifetime on wow. these causes. So he it's, it's well positioned himself beyond the grave to you know keep the empire going. And uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because a lot of the time, you know, there's a saying that, um, you know, it's very common for organizations to sort of stray from their founder's vision. Um, but unfortunately, it's not going to happen here, given yeah. Alex is going to be in charge. So so where can people get the book where you make the most money? <laughs> As an uh, author, I know that by sight. I mean, I know Amazon's <laughs> the easiest, but I know a lot of people, for good reason, don't want to buy from Amazon. So we're on Barnes right. & Noble's website um, and in person. Um, and uh, man, I wish I knew which one was the most money, but uh, <laughs> well, usually a lot of authors sell personally through their own websites. I don't know if you did that or, or that no, you know what I'm thinking I'll do eventually, I'll do like signed copies that way, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, for now, just Amazon and Mars and Noble and like you know, any random like gotcha million where books are sold. Yeah, I don't know who buys them there, but you know, <laughs> anywhere really. Hey, thanks so much, Matt. And uh, we want to have you back on down the road because this is a subject that's highly interested to us. All right, sounds good, my pleasure. Program. All right. Take care. Thank you, sir.